0: 7 Part 1 from the Sermon Series Acts of the Holy Spirit spoken by Pastor David Hosang. Well, an early Feliz Navidad to you, Metro. <laughs> it's 16 days to Christmas. And here in North America, it's mostly about shopping and Santa Claus and the Christmas story of Jesus' birth is quickly disappearing from our culture but we all enjoy hearing a good story. And that may be reason why many, even non-Christians, enjoy the Christmas story of a young pregnant working class couple returning to the husband's birthplace under the orders of the secretary of commerce, finding no accommodations giving birth among farm animals and placing their newborn in an animal feeding trough. Of course, this is just the superficial level of the story, which happens to be part of the story, with many significant prequels and a number of defining sequels. As to personal stories, I've mentioned before that my mom is one of the major heroes of my story. But my dad, who graduated to glory in September of 2017, also played a significant role in my own family and in my life. Born from a father from China, who worked on the Panama Canal, but who got sent to Jamaica after contracting malaria, And from a brown-skinned Jamaican woman, my seven-year-old dad and his two siblings were sent back to China, hopefully temporarily, to discover their roots. Unfortunately, shortly afterwards, his dad died of a ruptured appendix. This meant that my dad was stranded in China and left to grow up with his grandmother and the uncle's family that was a very unhappy household. So this is my dad in his younger days in China. Thankfully, he was a gifted boy, the first from his village to be sent to college and being groomed to be the Hakka chief of the village. Unfortunately, the second Sino-Japanese war broke out. He had to return to the village oftentimes hiding in the mountains from the rampaging Japanese army. One rare spiritual hope is that a Christian missionary befriended his grandmother. So my dad had some initial contact with Christianity. But things seemed pretty grim for him at that time. So we'll pick up the story later as we continue. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grand story of redemption. Thank you for the story of Christmas within this story. Thank you for our own story, which may be part of your grand story. May we both be hearers and doers of your word, prompted by your spirit, and this is all made possible through your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So last Sunday, Pastor Peter covered the previous passage in Acts chapter six. In response to a church crisis, seven godly Greek-speaking men, including Stephen, were appointed to the leadership of the church's food pantry to oversee the food distribution to the previously neglected Greek-speaking widows. This worked swimmingly, and the church continued to grow explosively. Our focus last week was on three qualities of a kingdom builder. God has placed each of us here on this planet, not merely to take up space, not merely to consume its resources, not merely to hang on to our fire insurance policy out of hell into heaven, which we think we have, and do as we please. No. God has a unique purpose for each of us, and in order to be effective kingdom builders, we must develop three qualities mentioned last week. We must develop a good reputation, be filled with the spirit, and be filled with wisdom. So here, Stephen was not just a church administrator. But God wrought many wonders and signs through him, and he was a brilliant visionary and defender of the Christian faith. But he got into trouble in his synagogue when he argued that the crucified Jesus, who was the promised Messiah, and that the God who gave the law and the temple was now doing a new thing through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that caused a real ruckus. Like social media today, Stephen's opponents either simplistically misunderstood or intentionally twisted his words. Charged him with blasphemy, one, against God or the temple, and two, against Moses or the law. This morning we look at part one of two parts of Stephen's defense before the Jewish Supreme Court. Interestingly, Stephen does not directly respond to these two serious charges. But he does implicitly respond to the first charge in part one of today's passage, which we shall get to soon, and very explicitly to it in part two. Similarly, he responds slightly to the second charge in part one, but very strongly in part two. So let me illustrate In responding to the charge that he has spoken against Moses and the law, Stephen argues, it is you who have a history of speaking against God and his chosen servants. Case one in point, it is you like Joseph's brothers who rejected the Messiah. Case two in point, it is you like the people of Israel in Egypt who rejected Moses twice while he was prince of Egypt, and while he returned as your deliverer. In fact, it is you who have spoken against Moses. You who have spoken against the other prophets, and now against Jesus, whom you crucified and murdered. And as to the law of Moses, it is you who have spoken against it, and rejected it by not obeying it. Whoa. Clearly. Stephen's defense is not intended to get his acquittal. It is not a cordial one saying he's sorry he's offending his synagogue peeps, or saying that he's sorry for them misunderstanding what you're saying, or trying to smooth things over. Bottom line is that he says this faith in the resurrected Jesus as Messiah is like new wine and you cannot put new wine into the old wineskins of Judaism. Our outline today in today's passage is very simple. Three points. Know the story, embrace the story, and share the story, as well as yours. In today's passage in Acts chapter 7, 1 to 19, we look at the beginning of the story involving Abraham, father of the people of Israel, and Joseph, His great grandson. Next Sunday, Pastor Peter will look at Moses and jump all the way down to Jesus. So let's read the first eight verses of Acts chapter 7, Acts 7, 1 to 8. Then the high priest said to Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you're now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not your own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation They serve as slaves, God said. And afterwards, they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. And he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac, circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. So from this passage we see how important it is to know the story and yours. And you may ask, so what is the story? Well, I'm glad you asked. The story refers to the story of redemption. God's big story of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. As we discussed in our MIT Bible interpretation class recently, the story in the Bible is on three levels. The lowest level is the level of individuals as the hero. The second level is the story of the people, of God as hero. And the highest level is that of God as the hero. Note how Stephen starts his story. Immediately after he gives a greeting of respect and asks them to listen, he says, the God of glory appeared to Abraham. From the outset, Stephen makes it quite clear that regardless of how esteemed Abraham is, the ultimate hero of the story is the glorious God. And we just sang recently of the God of glory and the glory of God filling this place. As already mentioned, Stephen is inferring that God did not appear to the Jewish heroes in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, or in the holy land. He appeared to Abraham outside of Palestine, Mesopotamia, Haran. So God's presence is not restricted to any one place or any one building. There's nothing sacred about a mere location. What makes a place sacred is where God chooses to reveal himself. And as a sneak peek to next week's um, defense, Stephen declares at the end, the Most High does not live in houses, like this temple, made with human hands. So, know the story. The question is, what do we need to know? I believe Steve would say, you need to know about Abraham, you need to know about Joseph, you need to know about Moses. So we begin with Abraham, about whom we have just read. So what do we need to know about Abraham? Well, Abraham is a huge hero in the Bible. But he was not perfect. For example, he was a cowardly liar, not once, but twice, about the same thing. You may recall that Abraham had a pretty hot looking wife, Sarah. And when he went on to Egypt and later Gerar, he lied to the rulers that Sarah was merely his sister because he feared that if they found out that it was his wife, they would kill him and take Sarah as their wives. He was also a passive spouse, listening to the bad advice of his wife. Now wives sometimes give good advice, like Abigail did to save her dumb husband Nabal, whose name actually means fool. But Sarah's advice to Abraham, to sleep with her slave Hagar, in order for them to have a child and a family was downright horrible advice. But here, Stephen emphasizes in his defense, Abraham's obedience to God's instructions and faith in God's promise of a land and of descendants against all odds of no present land, no present child, plus a delay of 400 years of slavery. God merely gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham believed God. Note that here, as well as all the places where Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament, like Romans four or Hebrews 11, no mention is made whatsoever of Abraham's failures. From God's perspective, Abraham's faith was fundamental, and his failures were incidental. So as God looks at my life, as he looks at yours, can he truly say, your failures are incidental, but your faith is fundamental? We'll be able to answer this question better when we implement steps of how to know my story and how to embrace my story in a few minutes. Stephen now jumps from Abraham to Joseph, skipping over Isaac and Jacob, letting us know what what, what about Joseph we need to know. So let's look at the remainder of our passage today, Acts chapter 7, verses 9 to 19. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering. And our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Jacob told his brothers who he was. And Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and the whole family, 75 in all. Then Joseph went down to Egypt where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill the promise to Abraham, the number of people, number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw their newborn babies so they would die. So what about Joseph do we need to know? Even though some point to Joseph as a type of Christ, he was also an imperfect human being. In his younger days, he snitched on his brothers. He enjoyed his father's favoritism and flaunted it. He shared dreams to his father and brothers of them bowing down and worshiping him. So not surprisingly, through jealousy, his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. But the passage mentioned, but God was with him. Like when he was falsely imprisoned for attempted rape when he refused to sleep with his master's horny wife. As a filler to the story of Joseph's story, while he was still in prison, he interpreted Pharaoh's troubling dreams regarding a severe famine. And he was appointed Secretary of Agriculture to oversee the crops. When worldwide famine hit, his brothers came to Egypt in search of food. He recognized them, but they did not. When he revealed himself to his brothers, he did not seek revenge. But he said to them, God sent me here ahead in Egypt to preserve his plan of salvation and to save lives. Later, when Father Jacob died, and the brothers now feared retribution, Joseph said to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Stephen has just mentioned two major characters in the story. And Luke may have actually abbreviated his defense. But clearly, Stephen's fullness of the spirit and wisdom as a kingdom builder was due to the fact that Stephen knew the story well. Knowing the story well for all of us is a necessary condition to being filled with the spirit and with wisdom. So how may we know the story? So here are two practical suggestions among many. First, develop a plan to read through the Bible. Something that is realistic and something that's sustainable. Many of us start with our New Year's resolutions. We may do it individually. We may do it communally, as we do with Audie Bible Tribe, as Pastor Peter does with his small group. You may do it with a couple, as a couple. Another suggestion is, how about taking courses like MIT Old Testament survey this winter, January 20th through March 10th. We look at history, background, context, and content of the story. And you may ask, so how may may I know not just the story, but how may I know my story? Well, here are a few suggestions. First, make time to ask older relatives. One highlight of my time back in Jamaica to last year was to have conversations with my dad about his story. He was brought back to Jamaica at age 19 by his father's brother to work in his bakery. He was invited to the Chinese Christian group and became a Christian. He met and married the love of his life for 53 years, Lily, and determined to establish a Christian home that he himself did not have. This is a later photo of my dad. Every Friday evening and two weeks for the summer were devoted all to family time. My dad served God faithfully as an evangelist, teacher, an elder in the church. He was not a perfect father. He was naturally short on patience and sharp in tongue, but he allowed God to continue to transform him throughout his life. He was not famous or rich, but he was a good, godly father. So just make time to ask people about your story. Make time to reflect on your story and even journal or write it out. Make time to share your own story in community. One of, the, one of the beautiful things is small groups or leadership groups, like Pastor Doug's discipleship group, they're doing lifelines. They're sharing their stories with each other. There's a small group here this quarter that are actually sharing their story. And that's very important. So. To know the story and yours is important, but it is not enough. You need to embrace the story and yours. It is one thing to know the facts about something, but it's another to experience it personally. It's like the difference between watching whitewater water rafting on TV or YouTube, and actually stepping into the dinghy and traveling down the Colorado River as we did on one of our anniversaries. We did a level three, not a level five or six, nothing too crazy. But watching it is definitely different from experiencing it. As you're on the side of the dinghy, getting bounced around and about, and hopefully not, out of the dinghy. By way of clarification, depending on the context of the term, the story, it may refer to two different aspects. Just like when we use the word, the law, it could refer to the first five books of the Old Testament or it could refer to the Ten Commandments. So when we use the word, the story, it may refer to God's long love story of redemption throughout history. This story may also refer to God's short story of salvation through Jesus. And this is what we're now referring to when we ask the question, so how do I embrace the story of the good news? Now there are various tools that are very helpful. So for example, in the Blue Bag for New Believers, Steps to Peace with God gives an explanation as to how one can become a Christian. For today, let's just look at the ABCs and combine that with what I call the Roman's Road. So how to embrace the story? A, B, C. A, admit that I am a sinner. Romans 3:23 says, "For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." I admit that I screwed up and disappointed God. I admit the bad news that my sin has caused a break in my relationship with God. but the good news is B: Believe the good news through Jesus, that through Jesus this relationship can be restored. So B, believe that through Jesus, God offers me eternal life. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And C, confess that Jesus is my Savior and Lord. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. And this is the beginning of your journey of transformation. It is important to know how to embrace the story and also how to embrace your story how to embrace your story. Let me suggest two things. Reflect on the good parts and reflect on the bad parts. So let's look at the first part. Reflect and accept the good parts. For example, as I reflect on my story, I'm thankful to God that a dysfunctional family cycle has been broken. As I mentioned before, my dad grew up with his grandma and unhappy uncle's family. My mom grew up as one of seven children with a single mom. A single mom who, when she found God, not only survived, but thrived until she she passed at 97. Thankfully, both parents committed their lives to Jesus in their early 20s. They were loving, godly parents with tight-knit, extended Christian families and extended Christian community. My mom led me to say yes to Jesus during one of my nightly prayers at age five years and eight months. I've had relatively little personal and family drama. I have a loving marriage partner and best friend of over 40 years. So you can reflect on your story, the good stuff, but also reflect on the bad parts reflect and accept the bad parts. Like having parents-in-law who were opposed to our marriage for two weeks. (laughs) Like having graduate studies prolonged when my supervisor died. Like having to deal with unexplained infertility, realizing that we're not immune to the pain of the world, Realizing that we are not always extended special privileges. Realizing that our initial plans are not always aligned with God's. Realizing that we can continue to trust God even when we can't understand him fully. Realizing that joy is not dependent on our circumstances but on our relationship with God, each other, and others. Compared to many of us here, it's relatively easy for me to embrace my story. And perhaps I'm a weak person and God has given me an easy story. But some of us have had some real painful, difficult parts of our story. I was really bummed I couldn't attend that after meeting a few Sundays ago because I was leading a Sunday afternoon small group. But I was so encouraged when I heard of so many women spontaneously and courageously sharing their stories of assault. I don't have an easy answer as to why God allowed or didn't prevent people from inflicting evil on you. But I do know that the greater the pain, the greater the potential redemption. And while God may have seemed absent, he was there suffering with you. One of my hearers here at Metro is someone who has had some horrible parts to her story, but is fully engaged in serving here because she has learned and continues to learn how to embrace her story redemptively. And I'm sure that she and others can truly share their true redemption songs. So like Abraham and Joseph, embrace your story, grow in faith, allow God to heal and transform you as your story is being written even now. So it's important to embrace the story, but there's one further important step that will greatly benefit you and others, it is share the story and yours. The question of how to share the story has many facets and I just mentioned two. For example, how to share the story involves being spiritually healthy. The healthier we are in our relationship with God, the more spiritually alert we are to the spirit The more full of wisdom we are, the more ready we are and willing to share the story. Another way that we can share the story is being spiritually prepared. Ready to share the story, whether a short version or a long version. Being alert to opportunities for sharing the story as I had an opportunity on Friday with a handyman who came over to our home. Aware of helpful tools, if a prophet like Steps to Peace with God or the ABCs, I admit, believe, confess. As to how to share the story, how to share your story, most people are not interested or focused enough to hear a long, rambling version of our own story. So we need to be smart, we need to be prepared, so that if we give them in sound bites or the longer version, especially when they find themselves in difficult life situations and want to hear and are receptive, we are prepared. So be prepared to give the Cliff Notes version. And I give you an example, Share it in part one and part two, my life B.C. and my life A.D. My life B.C., before I came to know Jesus, this was what life was like on this side of the tracks. Second part, my life A.D., this is what my life became when I became a Christian, but this is what my life is now as I continue to grow and transform. It is important to share our story verbally, but it is imperative to share or story non-verbally. And our story of continuing transformation has present, future, and continuing chapters. Pastor Peter is very good at sharing parts of his story. Not always very pretty, but very honest. One little slice of my personal story, happened a few weeks ago. I was asked by a staff member to fill in for them. So I prepared as best as I knew and filled in. So happened that I was asked to fill in again the following week. So I prepared and showed up only to be told that I was fired from my responsibilities because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So when I was told what I was supposed to do, I said, okay, I'll make the adjustments but then I was told that I was already fired from my responsibilities. Yeah, this was somewhat off-putting, not because nobody told me exactly what I should have done in the first place, but because I felt that I wasn't considered smart enough to make the adjustments after being told to do so. So I swallowed my pride, did what I was told to do and not to do, and was even helpful when a problem arose later. It was there while I was sitting, God reminded me that my primary responsibility as this child is to grow in faith and faithfulness, serving humbly, serving lovingly, and serving sacrificially as Jesus, my Savior and Lord did. Thankfully, I passed the test this time. Thankfully, the story has a good and quick ending, which is a good story because this is how Christians ought to relate to each other. Shortly afterwards, within the hour, I was unfired and later given an unsolicited peace offering as reminded that living my story was more important than preaching my story here today or preaching the story. Similarly, today, one of our young heroes at Metro is flying to donate her kidney on Wednesday. She has shared her story verbally with her family, friends, and colleagues, and acquaintances, but the non-verbal story of her sacrificial actions speaks volumes just as redemptive sacrificial death of Jesus should speak volumes to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your story of redemption. Thank you that you have given us an opportunity of embracing this story. Thank you for the opportunities we have of embracing our story, the good and the bad parts. And thank you for the privilege that we also have of sharing our story with others, verbally or non-verbally. Thank you for your spirit who has been here. Thank you that each of us is a unique place in our journey. And you have spoken to us specifically in very different ways regarding how we ought to respond to the story today. So thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here. Thank you for the way that we will, like Abraham, respond to you in obedience and faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, would you please take out your bulletin or your app to look at or next steps. First step, I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. I'm embracing the story for myself and we can help you by you going to the next table and us giving you a little packet with a Bible, steps to peace with God, why are you here on earth for, and to chat with you if you'd like and to pray with you if you'd like. Step number two, I will pursue a Bible reading plan this coming year to know the story better. And just make sure that it is realistic and sustainable. Step three, I will take Bible courses this coming year to know the story better. Sign-ups for MIT will be mid-January. And the Old Testament survey course, as well as Justice and Mercy, will be in at the end of January. Four, I'll rest- reflect on my story this week with a view to embracing it more fully. Commit to writing it out, journaling, typing it out. That will help you to crystallize things. Number five, I will share my story with at least one person this week. And God will provide you with opportunities.